This is from the records of the sayings of Layman Pang. The layman was sitting in his cottage, his hut, one day, studying the sutras. Difficult, difficult, he said. Like trying to scatter ten measures of sesame seed all over a tree. Easy, easy, Mrs. Pang said. Like touching your feet to the ground when you get out of bed. Neither difficult nor easy, Ling Chao said. On the hundred grass tips, the great master's meaning. So, Zen training is asking us to examine everything, to leave nothing alone, all our assumptions, everything we know, we think is true. Everything we think is false. The whole package. It takes a great deal of effort. Especially when we come to Sishin. Spend many hours sitting. It's painful. Just as much, you know, adjust as much as you want. At some point, it catches up with you. Whether it's the knee, the back, could be perfect shape. Pain will find you. Disease will find you. Old age will find you. And death as well. There's no escape. Someone said in Dokusan that it feels like a thorn in the foot. This is good. It feels like a thorn in the foot, right? And it's interesting because it feels like. But feels like doesn't make it so. Right? It feels like something. It doesn't mean it is that way. But often we, we stay with it feels like and then we work from that point on rather than to look deeper and see is it really the way it feels? Is it really the way I think? Or what I think? You know, the mind is, is churning like crazy when, when it has nothing to chew on. It regurgitates on its own memories, emotions, past, future. Right? It has nothing specific to attach itself to. Sometimes people say, well, I don't need to meditate. I just take hikes. I just 
get on a motorcycle, I just attend to my knitting or whatever, right? And it may be very relaxing, but meditation is not just about relaxation, especially not Zen practice or Zen training. I think that relaxation is a benefit, it's kind of like a side effect of Zen training. It's definitely not a goal. But when there is an activity that we're engaged in, the mind is happy, has something to be focused on. And here, there is nothing to focus on. What do we do when there is nothing to focus on? Where do we go with that? An open space. How long can we keep an open space before we engage in inner dialogues? How much time does it take before you start to go with the comments of this is too warm, this is too cold, I don't like the food. I don't like salty foods for breakfast, like some pancakes. I've had enough of this. And what makes it so powerful is that it's voluntary. You're not strapped down. The whole practice is on voluntary basis. You're here because you chose to be here. And I think that sometimes we we don't see the value of that. There's a lot of there's tremendous amount of value that we miss out on. Realizing, you know, I showed up because I chose to show up. That's great first step. But what are you doing on the cushion? We keep encountering thought after thought after thought, and a thought is another word for something, right? In what we call thoughts, there are many words, and each of those words have, has connotations. So it's not the thoughts that create the, the, the trouble for us, or the commotion. mind thinks all the time. It's just that what the thoughts do when they show up, it's the word. We think as if we speak with ourselves. Especially words like difficult or easy. Especially words like this should not be this way. I should not be here. I do not like this or that. This is a beautiful area. Why don't we just hiking in the mountains instead of sitting here all day? Such beautiful weather. I'm sure many of you would prefer to do that. Roam free. Roam free, but is roaming free 
equal to freedom. Freedom of what? The first of the Four Noble Truths begins with life is dukkha, suffering. The word suffering can be very easily misunderstood, like many words, because I, most of us would not equate life will with suffering. There are good moments, bad moments, high points, low points. But to say that life is suffering may be going too far with it, right? But what is suffering? What does it mean to suffer? Now we can have a smile on our face and be tormented inside. Not be at ease. Feel very disturbed, very worried. Many inner conflicts. Is that suffering? It doesn't look like suffering. It doesn't look like what we think suffering is. Again, it's a word. But we have to look deeply into what that means. The restlessness. The wanting to be somewhere else. The not wanting to be here. The carrying all the regrets. While carrying regrets, we produce regrets for later on. Right? You could be sitting here all weekend thinking about next week, next week arrives, and you look back and you just, well, I just pissed this week and away. That was a waste of time. Another thing to regret. Is that suffering? Maybe. Maybe it is. There is this notion that our job here is to enjoy this ride as much as possible and try to avoid what we don't like. To different extents. Some of us may not see it quite this way, but there is that notion. I remember years ago I was at a funeral of someone and one family member standing next to me and he was watching the, the coffin being lowered into the ground. And he mumbled something along the lines of, this, this is how we're all going to end up and so we need to have as much fun as possible while we're still around. I don't know if he was actually talking to me or mumbling to himself or trying to console himself. I didn't respond and this did not go anywhere. Later on I thought about it and I think what he said is, is very indicative of what we feel. It's, it's really how a lot of us feel about life. It's, how can I have as much fun as possible? How can I find the least amount of obstacles, make it as smooth 
ride as smooth as possible. Avoid the challenges. How much fun does it take to cover up reality? This would be like taking many sesame seeds and trying to cover up a tree, as Lenin Pank says. That would be quite difficult. Sometimes what we think is difficult is actually the easy. And what we think is easy is quite difficult. We resist because we think that by resisting we will create flow. And all we create is more of the same. More resistance. More suffering. Saying we don't want to suffer, we create more suffering. The reminders are all around us, all the time. Especially here. We kept the windows open. You heard the birds chirping, all kinds of birds, magnificent sounds, beautiful. It's all around us, and yet we are so occupied with the same old, over and over and over. When does it get boring? We think sitting is boring, but you know, we are the boring ones. Life is all around, and it is chirping. But I got my worries to attend to. And the pain. Yeah, there is pain. There is pain. But when you find freedom in the midst of pain, it is wonderful. It is a true moment of joy. In the midst of pain, total freedom doesn't make sense. I have to alleviate the pain before I can find freedom. But does it work? And how long does it last? How long does it last? So we examine pain. And I think it would be wise to examine pain, especially this weekend, because what else would you do? So is pain, would you say that pain co-arises with suffering? Is that one and the same? Or is pain just pain? And what we do with it will either create or not create suffering. There is the mental anguish about the pain and there is the pain. Is that the same? Maybe it is the same for you. I don't know. All I'm saying is that we need to examine, we need to, like all assumptions, look at them deeply and ask the right questions. You know, I think we all know or maybe 
have encountered somebody in the past who added lots of drama to pain to magnify it get some mileage out of it get some self out of that pain this is great I got stuff to complain about I get to tell others how difficult it was this experience and then I'm sure you also have met others who didn't act this way I recently uh, mentioned my grandmother who was mid-80s, she had uh, her foot amputated, she had diabetes. And while she was at the hospital, people would come visit her and all she wanted to talk about is how great the staff was with her. That's, this is really what she was interested in. Not the foot being lost, the pain the challenges that she will have to endure after that, they do not seem to occupy too much of her attention. So, so where does it come from? I mean, how is it that, and even for us, not just different people, just even for us, sometimes pain is just pain. Sometimes experience is just an experience, and other times, it is huge amount of stuff, suffering, difficulties, drama, challenges, a mountain of obstacles. What changes? Right? The days just roll in and out. Life goes on. Seasons come and go. And yet in that we have all kinds of experiences. And in that with those experiences, we have all kinds of ways of dealing with those experiences. So again, where is the freedom? Is it in changing the circumstances to fit us? Or is it in adapting to circumstances and conditions? So we sit for long hours. We endure pain. And we settle into it. And then something happens. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And in that we encounter our own sense of dissatisfaction. We encounter everything we brought in. Because we put the backpack down, we open it up, and look at what's inside. Here's what I'm unhappy about. And then we react to it. This is just a natural cycle of things. And then we live alone for a while, experience maybe moments of bliss and go right back.
So where do we go with this? How do we, how do we find that alignment while we are misaligned? The moments of bliss that we experience are obviously moments of alignment. Because nothing changes in the circumstances, all of a sudden, there it is. The spine is erect. Everything feels just right. Moments, seconds, maybe entire periods. And then we lose touch again. Where is that fork in the road? It's important to look at. And that's a very individualized examination, obviously, because there's no recipe for that. Only you know. Only you can find out where is that fork in which something arises left alone and can vanish. Or something arises, food for thought, food for drama, food for looking ourselves with, to fuel that search for self. Or fostering the self. Leaving things alone is good. Open your eyes, see what comes. Leave it alone. Choose to leave it alone. Choose to not tighten. Relax into it. There is a fork. I think you all know that. There is an option. Suffering is optional. Pain is not. Sickness is not. Old age is not. And death is not. Suffering is. The faith of mind. Third Patriarch says, <laughs> The more you talk and think, the more you go astray. Seize all speech and thought. Then everywhere you are with the way. To attain the principle, return to the source. Pursuing reflections, the essence is lost. The great way is all-embracing, neither easy nor difficult. The narrow-minded doubt this in haste, they fall behind. Neither difficult nor easy, he says. Or would you agree with that? It's neither difficult nor easy? Or it's sometimes difficult, sometimes easy? Layman Pank says, difficult, difficult. What is he trying to point at? Why would he say that? Layman Pank was a deeply enlightened person, practitioner. Why would he say difficult? Levin Pang, some of you may remember, was one of the most revered, is one of the most revered Chinese lay practitioners, among lay practitioners. And he, he's uh, equated to Vimalakirti in the times of the Buddha. 
who is also a lay, deeply realized lay practitioner. So uh, Lehman Peng began studying his uh, spiritual path with Confucianism. Then after realizing the path is not leading him to true clarity, he decided to delve into Zen practice. Then he studied with two of the great Zen masters at the time, Shitu and Matsu. Both were Dharma grandchildren to Huineng, the sixth patriarch, as I think most of you know of. So after his deep realization, Lehman Tang decided to put all his possessions one day on a boat and sink the boat. And then he, him and his wife and his daughter, their daughter, went traveling and along the path made bamboo utensils, sold them, and had a very simple life. So he, has, he had a small hut where he used to do his hermitage. That's where this took place. Anyway, difficult, difficult. What is this? I looked it up. What is difficult? The origin of it in Latin, this facilis means lack of ease. So it says, although it's interesting that in order to say what it is, we have to say what it's not or what it's missing. So it says it's a state of quality of being difficult. It's not saying much, is it? A task, problem, etc. that is hard to deal with. Again, it's not saying anything. A troublesome or embarrassing situation, especially a financial one. A dispute or disagreement. An objection or obstacle. Awkwardness. Those are all assumptions. I mean, we write dictionaries, so obviously that's how we feel about it, right? It's not somebody else writing it. <clears throat> but again, what are those assumptions? What is difficult? By itself, it's nothing. But think about it. You know, when somebody is saying, oh, that was a really difficult experience, what does it do? What does it evoke in you? When you tell yourself or others, this was very difficult, this is very difficult, what does it do? On the other hand, when you say it's easy, what does that do? One closes, one opens. One flows, one restricts. Words are very powerful. But the power of the word does not come from the word. It comes from the connotation we attach to it. And the connotation shows up so quickly with the word then in most situations, we don't even see that there is a fork in the road. So this is what we have to bring our practice to, to life. An experience is just an experience. Nothing more. Just an experience. 
A while ago, I was at an Aikido seminar as a practitioner with my teacher, who happened to be a very one of the more famous Japanese Aikido masters. So I was working in a group, in a line with some other people, and uh, there was one guy who couldn't get it right. The technique just he was stuck. He was under a lot of pressure. I don't think he. He takes many seminars, so that could be part of it. So the teacher came by and tried to help him. A few times. And the teacher got started to get very antsy about it, you know. Started to get come on, you know, you know what good. Here's what you should do. Do that. Just move the foot to this direction. Drop your knee. That's it. And the guy couldn't get it. And in fact, the more the teacher pointed at it by saying, do this, do this, do this, the guy completely lost it further and further. Got more and more nervous. And then the teacher just like raised his arms and went somewhere else. So then it was my turn to be thrown by him and I just moved his foot and put, it, put the knee down. I just pushed his knee to the ground. And he got it. And from that point on, he got it. And, of course, I didn't do anything special, but what this did, it, it bypassed the head and went directly to the body. The, the, the lack of flow was not in the body. It was self-created. It was the way he reacted to the situation. So he froze. So the body froze. But when you go directly to the body, it knows what to do. It knows how to move. You don't think about moving. You just move. You know, climbing up the stairs, you're not going to Move it up, put it down, move the other one up, put it down. Let me figure out the right gate so I don't trip. I hope you don't do that. It just happens. The body knows. Again, it's the connotation. It's what we do with situations and circumstances, conditions, experiences. It's how we interpret them. But is it possible? Is there a possibility? Maybe you want to entertain that. That the mind can do what it does and then you direct your attention to the body while the mind is concocting what it's concocting. Is that a possibility? Or when you sit here and the mind is churning producing thoughts that turn the emotional roller coaster on, which produces more thoughts. And then the knee hurts, and the back hurts, on fire. What happens when you turn your attention to the birds, to the breath, to your whole body? 
What happens if you lose a little bit of interest, just a tiny bit of interest in yourself? Just don't be so interested in yourself. Something happens. It's like opening the dam a little bit and water starts to flow and then you open a little bit more and more water starts to flow. And before you know it, there is movement. And before you know it, you have moments of forgetfulness of self. You don't even see what you brought in and was so troubling. You don't even see it. And I think you know what I'm talking about because you've had moments like that, even if seconds. You remember that uh, once Ryan was asked by a monk, what is the constant fundamental principle? And Ryan said, moving. And the monk asked, well, how is it when moving? And Ryan said, you do not see the constant fundamental principle. You don't see anything. Because you are everything. Because you don't pay attention to perceived gaps. There seem to be gaps. But the gaps only only appear when the attention is directed towards the narration or the storytelling or the issues or the concocting all kinds of why is he doing this why is she not doing that that's not right that's much better that's worse no more of this too much of that and on and on why do we care so much why do we mind so much How can we bypass this mechanism, this automatic mechanism? Just bypass it. Let it be. Don't ignore it. Don't deny. Just bypass it. Don't define yourself by it. It's a big difference there. Very big difference. You know, we, we clog our heads with fixed connotations. When we get stuck in a loop that just feeds itself. That's all we do. It just feeds itself. We take a break and we go back to doing it. We take a break and we do it again. Meanwhile, life goes on. You're not that important. I'm not important either. Mrs. Pang, I don't know why there's no name, we don't know a name for her, so unfortunately we're going to have to call her Mrs. Pang. She said, easy, easy, like touching your feet to the ground when you get out of bed. Now when you look up easy, it says not posing difficulty. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to look up dictionary anymore. <laughs> not very interesting. Like put, touching your feet to the ground when you get out of bed. 
like scratching your nose when it itches, like walking up the steps. I don't know, maybe you don't feel this way at 4.45 in the morning when you touch your feet to the ground out of bed here. Maybe a weekend. But there is that too. So again, where is the fork in the road? Where are... Where can we see that there is another way to exist, to be, to function, something else to cultivate. You know, sometimes I, I teach and I show something to Aikido and people say, oh, you make it look so easy. But I don't make it look anything. This again is a connotation. You make it look easy because it's very difficult for me. Here is easy and here is what's not easy. Here is easy and here is difficult. I know that. Right? Everything is difficult for me. Everything is easy for you. Is that true? Is that true? Ling Chao is their daughter, was their daughter. And she said, neither difficult nor easy. On the hundred grass tips, the great master's meaning. And the chirping birds, the great master's meaning. You want uh, Taisho? You've had Taisho all day long. But you're probably waiting for this one. Because you think this one will be more meaningful than what you've been listening to all day long. I am here to disappoint you. I cannot do better than the birds. Saying difficult is saying too much. Saying easy is saying too much. Saying neither difficult nor easy is also saying too much. All too much. So one is saying difficult, the other one is saying easy, and then the daughter saying neither this nor that. Is she surpassing them? Is her understanding deeper than their understanding? That would make sense, right? For us, the way we look at it. She is free while there are trapped or they are presenting what it means to be trapped in dualism. But look again. All three were deeply realized human beings. Beyond more or less. Beyond in and out, high and low. You and I. They just left some pointers for us. So maybe we can also realize. <coughs> so we can learn something. <coughs> Yesterday, 
we talked about, well, I talked about the acupuncture needle of seated meditation. And I want to go to Dogen's commentary on that, but for the sake of those who weren't here yesterday, I will repeat that. This is the acupuncture needle of seated meditation, of Zazen. The important function for Buddha after Buddha and the pivotal moment for ancestor after ancestor is to know it without stirring anything up. In other words, to bypass the head. And to be illumined without setting up an opposite. Like here, difficult or easy. When one knows it without stirring up anything, such knowing is naturally humble. When one is illumined without setting up an opposite, such illumination is naturally subtle. Since that knowing is naturally humble, there is never a discriminating thought. Since that illumination is naturally subtle, there is never the least outward sign of it. Since there is never a discriminating thought, that knowing is wondrous, with nothing left to be dealt with. Nothing else to be, nothing, nothing left to be dealt with. Nothing left to be figured out at the end of this session or the next period. It's all already have been figured out when you were born. Or as they say, the meal has long been cooked. But you've heard that before. <clears throat> Since there is never the least outward sign of it, that illumination is complete with nothing left unrealized. The water is now so clear, you can see to its depths, as fish swim by at their leisure. The sky is now so clear and boundless, as birds fly off, leaving no trace. Leaving no trace. So, here, in this sashin, we pile up Moments, after moments, after moments. Oh, it's been 25, 30, 40, 60 minutes. Three periods, five periods. Can't take this anymore. Well, don't pile them up. Burn each period, each previous period, in this one. Burn the last one. Sit up straight. Burn yesterday, today. Burn today, tomorrow. No trace. Dogen says, The point of this needle of seated meditation is the great function which manifests before our very eyes. It is our everyday behavior when we look beyond words and forms, when we look beyond connotations. Again, when we bypass what we automatically do, no, I take that back. When we bypass what is, what is automatically being done, we don't do that. There is no volition. You're not doing this. You're just experiencing. You're experiencing your mind producing connotations. You're also experiencing your body reacting to those connotations. 
That is an experience. But that is not fixed because it changes. Again, one day we feel good, the other day we feel like crap. One day things are difficult, the other day, the next day they are easy. Same thing. What happened? One day we wake up in the morning feeling heavy, the next morning feeling light. Don't make yourself out of the heavy, don't make yourself out of the, out of the light. The light is not you, the heavy is not you. Logan says, to know does not mean to perceive. For our perceptions are a small gauge of it. Small gauge of it. It's just a tiny thing that is happening while the birds are chirping. Yeah, it's happening. It's true. But that's not all. It says, when we look beyond words and forms, To know does not mean to perceive, it's just a tiny fraction of it. Nor it is the knowing associated with intellectual understanding. For intellectual understanding is but a mental construct. Again, it's another thing that is created, has been created, or will be created. The phrase not stirring up anything is equivalent to saying, when clear-mindedness comes, be clear-minded. And when dark-mindedness comes, be dark-minded. I don't think we want like that. We don't want to hear this, do we? We want to hear clarity when darkness comes. We want to hear easy when difficult comes. But what happens to easy when it is dropped and there's only the difficult? What happens to the difficult when it is dropped and is only the easy? What happens to you if everybody else around you is dropped or merged? You'd be at peace, right? As, as somebody said, Zen would be very easy if it wasn't for other people. Well, okay, let's take care of that. Let's merge with everybody. At once, merge with everybody. All the problems are gone. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Dogen instructed us to Think non-thinking, right? To not just go with the flow, to do some work on the cushion, to think non-thinking, not just on the cushion. <clears throat> to actively do something, not automatically go with what is happening. There's an interesting dialogue here that I want to share with you. Right after great master Yakusan Igen has, had finished a period of meditation, a certain monk asked him, as you were sitting there, all still and awesome, like a mountain, what was it that you were thinking about? The master answered, what I was thinking about was based on 
not deliberately thinking about any particular thing. Not deliberately thinking about any particular thing. That's what he was thinking about. The monk then asked, how can what anyone is thinking about be based on not deliberately thinking about something? Are you following this? <laughs> the master replied, it is a matter of, quote, what I'm thinking about, end of quote, not being the point. What I'm thinking about, it is a matter of what I'm thinking about, not being the point. Then what is the point? Dogen, Dogen commented on that saying, even though the condition of not thinking about anything in particular is of ancient vintage, how can one possibly think about it? How can thinking not go on while sitting ever so still? Right? You're not moving, but Thinking happens. Thinking happens. There is someone, he says, there is someone involved in not deliberately trying to think about something and that someone is maintaining and supporting an I. Even though being ever so still is synonymous with that I, meditation is not merely an I thinking about something. It is the eye offering up its being as still and awesome as a mountain. I think I have to read that again. He's saying there is someone involved in not deliberately trying to think about something. And that someone is maintaining and supporting an eye. Even though being ever so still is synonymous with that eye, meditation is not merely an I thinking about something. And the last line is the most important. It is the I offering up its being as still and awesome as a mountain. It's an offering. It's not created. To deliberately do something means to deliberately not go with what is happening automatically. And it is happening, and you've experienced what you're experiencing here many times before. That's the boring aspect of meditation. Me is the boring aspect of meditation. The world is the wondrous aspect of meditation, of Buddhism, of practice. As the Buddha said, wonder of wonders. It is wondrous. It's just that there is something that seems to be an obstacle, that seems to get in the way. It seems to get in the way. But this is the assumption I want you to examine. Is it in the way or is it not? Is it an obstacle? Kabir said, 
all know that the drop merges into the ocean, but few know that the ocean merges into the drop. The ocean merges into the drop. Everybody merges into you. Not just you merging into everybody. When you put your forehead to the ground to bow deeply, it is the practice of that. It is the practice of everybody merging into you while you merge into everybody. Not just everybody, everything. Animate, inanimate objects, past, present, future, at that moment, you experience no divisions. All one. So let's end with that. And let's open up. You know, you, you showed up here to meet yourself to encounter something, something new, something new and familiar. Put down, put aside for a little while everything you brought with you, everything you know, everything you think you don't know, put that down too. And be curious. Be curious. 